Spooning vs. Genius Episode 19, Spoon! In this episode, Eric and Bruce talk about the amazingness that is The Tick. The comics, the cartoons, the live-action shows, everything we can think to talk about The Tick. Inverse Genius is sponsored by our incredible Patreons at patreon.com slash obg. All that money there goes to cover the monthly podcast costs, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inverse Genius, the podcast where we get to talk about anything that's mostly not board game related. <laughs> I'm Eric Dewey, your host, and you can find me at ericdewey.com. Of course, you can go over to inversegenius.com and see all the other cool podcasts that we have in our umbrella. But before I ramble on incessantly with some sort of strange soliloquy about Destiny pushing me on my back, I need to bring in someone who Destiny truly has shown a, a nice bright light upon, and that is the one and only Bruce Vogue the Third. Oh yeah, I found the Sunday of life, and I poured chocolate on it, Eric Dewey. But you don't want to eat crackers in the bed of your Destiny, or you get all scratchy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. Oh, it, f- it feels good to be here. Uh, you can find me all the places you've ever found me in the past. If you saw me before, I'm probably still there. We'll, we'll leave it at that. If this is the first thing you've ever heard of that I've done, you know what? Thanks for listening. Uh, listen to other things. I tell you how to find me there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Bruce and I, through many uh, different conversations we've had, discovered a mutual love for the superhero known as The Tick. And so this particular episode is going to be all about The Tick. And The Tick has really lately gotten back into fashion. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, although I personally like him, so I'm just as happy for it. Uh, But the main reason people are talking about him now is there is a The Tick Amazon series that if you belong to Amazon Prime, you can watch. Yep, it's about six episodes long, but... the good news is is that it ends on a cliffhanger, which is about to be fixed or finished, I should say, uh, by the end of February. I think February 22nd is when the next batch of episodes come out. And what's really interesting is they've put out six episodes, and then they just left it a cliffhanger. Hey, we don't know what's going to happen. And then they started putting out articles all over sort of the entertainment journalism sphere uh, to let people know that this was done very much with intent that all the episodes are done, they intentionally stopped it at six so that you couldn't easily binge watch it from the beginning. Yes. And and in fact, they actually played the first episode, like sort of their pilot, and then it was quiet for six, eight months before they actually dropped the first six episodes. Yeah, because the first episode, the pilot, I don't know uh, how aware everybody out there is of how Amazon kind of does their media business. But what they often do is is they'll make the first pilot episode of like eight different shows. And you can watch it if you're an Amazon Prime member and you can vote on which shows you want to see them produce. So they start with like a tournament of eight episodes essentially. And at the end, whichever ones get the best reception are the ones that get made. I would say normally they make about half, sometimes a little less. Uh, For me, the first uh, encounter I had with this was a show called Alpha House, which is about four senators that live together in D.C., written by the guy that wrote Doonesbury. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was written by the guy that wrote Doonesbury, and it had, for the first episode, Bill Murray was in it. Uh, But it has John Goodman, Dan Aykroyd, I want to say, but don't hold me to that. Um, I'm trying to remember who else acts in it, but it was a really fun show 
had a bit of a political lean that maybe some people may not enjoy, but I personally enjoyed it very much. It was well acted. It was funny. Uh, and it very much kind of had that sort of Doonesbury sensibility to it. Uh, but it went through the same process. It was there with like five other shows and two shows got made Alpha House and I don't know something else I didn't watch. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about The Tick. Um, there's actually been, let's say, four iterations of The Tick, right? Yeah, I believe so. I believe, yeah, there has been four. <laughs> I had to think about that. Yes, there has been four iterations of The Tick so far. And, um, of course, they're all similar in the fact of Tick's sort of basic personality, but they are all radically different as you watch them. And so let's just kind of jump in, jump in. Let's talk about the Tick, where he came from, and then we'll talk about all of the different ways he's been sort of created. So uh, initially, he was a mascot for the New England Comic Book Company, which was a comic book store. Obviously in New England, and in their newsletter, some uh, Ben Ben England drew it. I'm pronouncing that. Uh, right, I believe Ben Edland. Edland. Sorry, I believe yes. I've always heard pronounced it England too, because you just see like oh, the rest of the letters are there, but there's <laughs> right. a D where that first N should be. Yep, you are correct. And so yeah, he he drew he drew the tick, and it was kind of a fun little cartoon in the in the uh, newsletter and it got to be so so interesting and i guess popular enough that they actually decided to publish their own black and white comic uh, called the tick Doo-doo. so talk to me about the tick okay so tell me i'm sorry in general about him okay so interesting things to note about the tick um is that he doesn't really have much of an origin story in any version of him there has ever been The closest to an origin story there has ever been, which is in the comic books, is that he comes out of an asylum, and he just sort of is. Yes, and at some point in the comic books, he has a a mild existential discovery that he has pockets. Um, (laughs) And the reason that that's important is that there's always this question of, you know, this costume that he wears, is that a costume? Is there a man underneath this, or, or is he something else? And. Yeah, he's he's so a giant he blue humanoid with two antenna. with two antenna, <laughs> and that is it. Uh, his power set, which stays largely the same no matter where he goes, a lot of things change about him. But his powers are essentially the same, which is that he's quote nigh invulnerable. Uh, he has sort of part of the Superman getup, like you can shoot him, he can jump off buildings, he doesn't die, he doesn't get hurt. Um, he seems to take a certain amount of damage. Like he certainly feels pain at a certain point, but yep. bullets bounce off of him. And unless another super humanoid or super creature attacks him, it doesn't really seem to hurt him. Uh, he also does love jumping from building to building. Think a la Batman, but he can't fly, nor does he have no. any group of gadgets to assist him. So he's literally just jumping <laughs> from building to building. And he seems to have a great amount of mass uh, because in any version of him, you see if he jumps from one building to the next and his foot hits the ledge, it breaks the ledge every time. Yes. And there is a great little f- funny bit that they do with him. They did it in the comics. They did it in the, in the, the cartoon series where he comes flying off. He's falling off of a building and he sees a flagpole and he's like, Oh, I will just bounce off this flagpole and land. And he grabs a flagpole and just shears right off. Yep. And then he, crashes into the ground and he's usually about waist deep into the ground and this flagpole is just sitting there going and then for the next few minutes while he pontificates about something that flagpole is just 
It's just funny. And another thing to note about the tick that is always the same. So that basic set of powers is the same. Also, he has this incredibly cheery outlook all of the time, no matter how far the odds are stacked against him or anyone else. He's really just a big four-year-old emotionally, it seems like. without He doesn't throw fits except on one sort of occasion. And it really wasn't a fit. It was more melancholy. Yes. But yeah, he is, he is, the glass is always half full for him. And is normally pouring over full, whether <laughs> anything in this situation leads you to believe that should be it or not, to the point of people around him feeling like his amount of exuberance and positivity is dangerous to those around him because he does not understand his limitations or theirs which is not bad for him because being nigh invulnerable he has nary a limitation but around him are characters that very much do and he does not at all acknowledge that because the glass is always pouring over full Exactly. And, uh, you know, he has what you would normally call plot immunity just due to his nine vulnerability, yes. right? Um, and he just doesn't accept the fact that other people can get hurt. It doesn't even enter into his mind. And, and usually because he believes that the universe is going to help him and them. Yes, Destiny, he has a real strange relationship with Destiny in the fact that he believes in various iterations that Destiny has chosen him and those around him to do things. And with that self-assuredness that Destiny is with him, then there's no reason not to try everything because he can only hope but to succeed. And then a lot of moments in the show, this is the other thing I would say kind of crosses over to most versions, is that... Things around him are sort of super heroic, the actual actions, but that what you are either reading on the comic page or hearing him talk about is just sort of uh, very, um, he's very contemplative, it's very philosophical, while ridiculous things are happening around him. Yes. Yes, he will get in. It, it, it's interesting, he gets into some kind of deep philosophical thoughts. In fact, there's one episode of the... Uh, cartoon series where he gets completely philosophical and meta and kind of understanding what his meaning is in the world and things like that and it's it's always fun because he just spouts it off and the best part is he'll spout all these things off and nobody ever questions him or calls him on it right they just sort of let him do it or it's just part of part of what the tick is yeah everyone does seem to accept him and then one quick thing to cover let's talk about his four iterations real fast it was the okay. comic but it was well kind of a fifth it was that mascot for a comic book shop then he became mm -hmm. a comic book then in that period of the 90s where people were just gobbling up anything comic related they could find to turn into like kids stuff uh, they gobbled him up and made a Fox cartoon series out of him that aired alongside the Fox cartoon X-Men. Yep. Uh, then, years and years and years later, he got picked up again for a live-action television show that was very much like Seinfeld, but with superheroes. Yes, with Patrick Warburton playing the Tick. Because for years, Patrick Warburton had people telling him, you know you sound like the Tick, right? <laughs> uh, which I guess at first, I don't know even know if Warburton knew what that was, but apparently enough people got to him that he decided, in fact, to become the Tick for this weird Seinfeld version, to which at the end it went like four episodes, 
the DVD came out and had the other four that never got aired, and everyone pretty much thought it was dead. And then all of a sudden, Amazon says, oh, by the way, we have this little (laughs) idea. And it's another Tick series that feels very much uh, like the comic book and like the cartoon and less like the Seinfeld of superheroes. Yes. Yes. And, um, well, let's let's kind of talk about... I want to I go just a little bit more detail okay. in the different types of Tick. We'll probably spend most of the time on the cartoon just because that's the one that has the most, uh, most stuff with it. But in the comic books... The Tick, as you mentioned, he is certifiably crazy. He has been placed in an insane asylum when it starts. He breaks out. He has a... Uh, you are talking about he doesn't have gadgets. He did have one gadget, his combat scanner, which was a Viewmaster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so he would look in there and whatever that Viewmaster was, and of course it invariably led him somewhere. He fought a whole bunch of ninjas for a while. <laughs> and um, But yeah, he was, he was kind of crazy, and nobody really... He, knew what to do with him like in the first episodes he comes across uh carl oppenheimer who is superman and clark kent and he decides he needs to buddy up with him because they're both superheroes and so but he's not you know tick isn't aware of his secret identity or any of that kind of stuff so he puts on a tie and immediately gets a secret identity and starts to do crossword puzzles for the newspaper and (laughs) and the superman guy is is frustrated because he's blowing First of all, his secret identity, and second of all, you know the tick is just trying to help, but in just in sort of a buffoonish way, he keeps kind of causing more difficulties. So, and then uh, it, it kind of goes that way. He bounces in, finds some ninjas, deals with the ninjas problem for a while, and then Arthur shows up. And I guess we haven't actually talked about Arthur, but Arthur is the tick's sidekick. And he's basically a guy in a moth suit, and his superpower is essentially that he can fly. But he can only fly because of the suit. Without the suit, he is, and I think this is in all versions, he's an accountant. Yes. To the best of my knowledge, he's an accountant in all versions. Yeah. So so he's just like an accountant, like sort of a chubby accountant that yep. finds this moth suit. And in different ways in every version, he comes across the moth suit. And in every case, he's like, oh, it's a moth suit. I should probably take it off. And then that's where the tick is like, no, destiny has found you. You must do what she says. She's whispering in your ear, chum. (laughs) Exactly. And in the comics, Arthur actually is the one that sort of guides Tick along, kind of helping him become the superhero that he needs to be, Uh, which is different than all the other iterations where it's usually the Tick grabbing Arthur and teaching him to be the superhero. Yeah, I think definitely, especially in the the cartoon, uh, Arthur was supposed to be the everyman for us. Right. He's there to explain how the world works. Yeah, and in most other versions of the Tick, there just isn't an everyman. (laughs) You're just left wondering what's going on. Or I want to say, I know in the Amazon version, it's sort of uh, Arthur's sister, Dot, is the everyman for us. That's sitting there going like, what are you doing? This is insane. People are shooting at us. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, let's summarize the other four and then we can kind of go back into the, or the other three. So then the the cartoon came out, three seasons of the cartoon. And this was just full on just hilarity. The tick just doing superhero stuff and encountering all kinds of crazy things from a bad guy with a chair for a head who wants to carve his name in the moon to uh, fighting the common cold (laughs) and uh, all kinds of, oh, and 
of course, my favorite, the personal best episode is where he comes across another superhero called the Tick, and they have to fight it out to see who's going to have the honor of being called the Tick. And then another thing to remember through all this is that it's comic book parody at its highest. So in all of yes. these things, you, you see versions of characters that you know that are completely turned to the side. like And one that only aired on Fox, I think, once was they had a guy that was sort of like the Punisher called, I believe, Big Shot. Big Shot, and yes. He appears actually twice, but did, Oh, he did? Okay, because I think you're much <laughs> more an expert on the cartoon than I am, although I did love it. <laughs> But the great thing about Big Shot is 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 he is much as I think outsiders think of the Punisher is that if every problem if all you have is a hammer every problem is a nail and for the Punisher yes. that is a gun that whatever the problem is a gun will solve it and that's not really true once you get into the kind of the mythos of Frank Castle but for Big Shot that is literally true so everywhere he goes every problem there is he blows it down with a gun uh, the car doesn't start shoot it. Uh, he's just he's yeah. shooting like the Punisher skull into like the sign into town and then he yep. gets to the big villain and he's out of bullets <laughs> um, and that's exactly the kind of thing they do to every hero like if you think the problem for the Punisher is bullets bam he's got no bullets now what do you do and I think cry was the answer yep he breaks down and cry the tick tells him that you know superheroes don't need guns and later on in the Tick versus the Tick, when there's this big problem, we find Big Shot back, and he actually has been going to therapy. Oh, yeah, because the end thing is, Mom, why didn't you love me? Yep. Is kind of what drove him into being. So he's been into therapy, and he's now well-adjusted, and he's trying to talk to the two Ticks and trying to work it out all normal-like. But, of course, they have to fight because that's what happens when two superheroes meet, right? They have to fight. Absolutely, and this happens at the superhero bar. Oh, we are going to spend so much time on the Tick versus the Tick episode. It is one of, if there, if I would say there, fair viewer, fair listener, if you're only going to watch one episode of the cartoon, the one to hunt down is the Tick versus the Tick. Because for Tick fans, it is the most quoted. Because there's the superhero bar that is guarded by Doorman. Doorman. Uh, which is... <laughs> Which is sort of like, that's an in-joke to people that watch The Tick. All of the sidekicks have to go to the sidekick lounge, which is just like an outhouse around the side of the building. Yeah, there's like a, a talking dog, a, a talking uh, orangutan ape, and you know some guy in this little Bucky's, you know, star-spangled kid kind of uh, costume. <laughs> and then Arthur shows up, but like The Tick didn't realize that's what was going to happen to him, but The Tick was like, well, it'll be fine, you can hang out with other sidekicks, chum. Um, and then the whole time the villain in this episode, because really the Tick versus the Tick are two heroes fighting, is the Mad Bomber what bombs at midnight. And he has the best lines. He's just constantly talking to himself. No one ever really notices him the whole time. And his goal is just to blow stuff up. So he's going to go blow up the Comet Club. And But he's just is rant. I mean, he is just... Every line he says is gold. It, it, it is most reminiscent if those of you out there have ever seen Office Space. It reminds yes. me of the kind of stuff, if you really listen to Milton, the guy who gets moved to the basement, uh, it's the yep. same sort of ramblings, where like a lot of his ramblings are real quotable, where he's like, I was told <laughs> I specifically could keep, a, I could keep a radio as long as I kept it at a reasonable volume. It's the same <laughs> sort of thing, but just so much better lines, because every time he's talking to himself, and he can't believe no one's paying attention to him, so he's walking around like, I got bombs, baby! That's what we're going to do. We're going big time. We're going to move everything. Yes. And then just like walks away. But no one notices that he's like ranting to himself because two superheroes are fighting each other in the middle of the club. Exactly. 
and uh, so it, he is hilarious. He does appear again in a second episode, almost as a as a cameo. But but uh, yeah, he's it, it is a classic send up of so many things. Uh, that in the first episode, in the first episode, there's these bad guys called the Idea Men, and they are going to blow up the dam. And so the superheroes, all the superheroes of the city, have to go and try and save it. And there's this constant, there's a little montage of all the superheroes getting ready, and the superheroes they have are hilarious, like bipolar bears. Like this is a job for bipolar bear, but I just can't get up in the morning, you know, <laughs> and, and just jokes like that. It's oh yeah, because that was the same one with the human bullet. Yep. Where, fire, fire me, boy. Me boy. <laughs> he climbs out into like a giant handgun and tells yep. his son who clearly has no powers. <laughs> yep. His son's por- job is to push the button to fire him out of the cannon. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the, the caped chameleon who can't do plaid. Yeah. He, he crosses over on plaid and passes out. Good, good stuff. Like I said, we will be coming back to the comic cartoon because it was so hilarious. Um, so the Patrick Warburton series, uh, the live action tick there. Uh, as you said, it was very Seinfeldian because it was him. There was Arthur, of course, and there's two other characters. There's uh, Batman Well, yeah. who is a Batman Well has Batman. been known as either Batman Well or Deflator Mouse, essentially the exact same character. Yep, just a Batman parody. And then there's Captain Liberty, or on the cartoon, it was American Made, um, and so. Again, same kind of character. She's truth, justice in the American way, kind of Captain America-ish. Whereas Batman, well, of course, is the Batman-ish, but he's sort of the lazy Batman. And Captain Liberty is the one who's always frustrated that they don't do more what they're supposed to do. Um, what was real interesting about the Tick TV show, the Patrick Warburton was, you know, they they had a lot of budget, but I don't know that they had a lot of budget for superhero battles. So when you say it's Seinfeldian, it's because they spend a lot of time in a Chinese restaurant. They spend a lot of time just kind of on the <laughs> rooftops talking. Um, there's there's many an episode where there are f- it starts with them having just finished battling some kind of supervillain. Um, and so there's a lot of interaction and stuff. Not a lot of superheroing, but a lot of interaction. And for the tick... To know the tick is to know that that could have worked. Like, yes. if there's a show where everything could happen with them saying, that battle was crazy, the tick maybe could have gotten away with that. It didn't. It did not work. Because having a superhero show with no superheroism just doesn't really work for the general public. But if ever there was a character that might have been able to pull it off, it would have been the tick. Yeah. And, you know, if this show had come out you know, now or four or five years ago, I think it would have succeeded better because there's a bigger audience to have, you know, parody of superheroes. Yes. But in 2001, it just wasn't there. Yeah, it was already like, it was a real niche character that a lot of people really love passionately, but I agree. There just wasn't, enough people didn't get the tropes. And now since, you know, DC's finally kind of putting some movies together in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just more people understand the tropes so they know when they see parody. Exactly. Uh, and I will say that Patrick Warburton just took on the role of the tick wholeheartedly and just did an amazing job, in my opinion. Oh, n- no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I believe he's also a producer on the Amazon series. Yes, actually he is. So that does lead to the Amazon series. Now, the tick in the Amazon series is a guy whose name I cannot pronounce, Peter Serafinokowitz. Bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, If you remember Guardians of the Galaxy, the guy who led the Nova Corps, 
and ultimately um, he, he hated the Guardians of the Galaxy. That is this guy. That is the tick. And I have to say, next to Warburton, he does a stunning job. I, I agree completely. Warburton is a big shoe to, feel, to fill for this kind of role, and he he does it well. He's got the big Destiny monologues just solidly down, and he delivers them with, with complete earnest, cluelessness, but earnestness. Yes. <laughs> and then what's kind of funny about this, funny, um, is essentially it's a gritty reboot of The Tick. <laughs> Yes, Which, for it, the tick, is even more of a parody once you realize it. You're like, oh my god, they've decided to do the gritty reboot version of the tick. Right. Which is hilarious looking at all of the movies that are gritty reboot versions of their comic characters. Yes, exactly. Um, it, it's interesting because the show is really about Arthur. Uh, and it's kind of Arthur's character arc in this show. And he's a completely different Arthur than any of the other ones. He's... He, uh, and... You know, this is, you, know, you got the cartoon, you got the TV show. This one, though, is, is full on. This is for adults. This is not for kids. Um, there's there's adult language in it and some pretty, I don't know, plot lines get to be kind of heavy in this in this particular. I mean, right off the first episode, Arthur's parents, or his, his father, I guess, is killed right in front of him. Yeah, and, by and I mean, not to, not to give too much away, but I think we need to talk about it because... None of these other versions of The Tick were ever dark at all. Um, No matter how bad it got, it was still bright. It was always still bright. And this starts with, in all the other versions, Arthur doesn't really have an origin story other than like maybe he found a briefcase or somehow he ends up with the wings. But he doesn't really have motivation. It's just sort of he finds these wings and then somehow runs into this guy that's the tick and then ends up in a superhero world. And that's kind of the, the main thrust is, oh, my God, how'd this guy end up in the superhero world? Whereas this time you you see his father murdered in front of his eyes. And it is it is brutal and it is rough, uh, especially yes. if it- you go in knowing the tick. You're like, what is this? Yes. And in fact, the person that murders his father then walks up because he's a little kid at the time, walks right up to him and basically literally steals his ice cream and gloats on the fact that he just killed him and walked away. And and it it took my brain an adjustment time. It's probably a good thing that the pilot took so long before the rest of the series kicked in because I had to adjust because this was not the tick that I, I knew and loved. Uh, no, and I'll say, but, watching uh, that scene, it made me go back and research. Because I was like, did I not know that this character was actually real dark? <laughs> right. <laughs> and no, that is an entirely created plot for the Amazon version of the dick. Yep. And uh, and so I will say, it is the Amazon version is probably the least funny of them all, because it's not trying to constantly do jokes. It's not primed, I think, as a comedy. I think it's more just a a, a fun action-adventure, maybe. And I think some of that comes through in it is, to the truest form, even though as much for something like The Tick, this is a joke, it's a gritty reboot. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. for The Tick, it is. <laughs> now, to give you all listening kind of perspective, uh, Eric talked about how in most versions of The Tick, he does this same bit where he's falling off a building, grabs a, a uh, flagpole, it snaps out and he still hits the ground with the flagpole standing and waving. Um, he does it in the Amazon show as well. 
because there is one. And what's great is he he literally is falling off a building. And the discussion is falling is a state that most humans don't understand. And the first thing you must do is say to yourself, I am a falling person. <laughs> and if you can accept that, you might find certain opportunities being one who is falling. And that's when he grabs the flagpole, which you expect will help him. And it doesn't. It snaps off. And he hits the <laughs> ground and beds his whole body in the ground. And the flagpole is standing up, which is a known bit for the tick. Um, yes. So like I said, this could potentially be a dark thing. But they're trying to lighten it up. But I agree. This is definitely not the rest of them were comedies. This one is more kind of like a cheeky, fun action show. Yes. And one of the things I thought was was real interesting on The Tick, and I won't get too deep in because I don't want to spoil anything, but there's kind of a question on the early episodes of, is The Tick even really there? Yes. Because Arthur's mental state isn't the most solid. No. Uh, And they... They answer it pretty early, but they do a really good job of kind of setting that up. Yeah, they they definitely, this is a new version. And then I think what's fun is, is Ben Edlund, the guy who wrote it, who has been the guy that's always been through it, um, has also done stints on shows like Gotham. So he's had the chance to work on kind of larger productions and seen what these gritty, sometimes quirky reboots can look like. So he's had that experience in writing those shows and is bringing that to this um, which I think is is super cool because it's fleshing out the characters in a way different way than any other way we've seen them in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the fourth time around for him. Uh, third time around for dealing with network television. So I think he, you know, knows what he can do and what he can't do. And I obviously being on Amazon, I think he's got a lot more freedom. They've already uh, announced Amazon has that there's going to be a second season. So that uh, kind of excites me to see where it's all going to go. And then seeing some of the interviews he's done, he said, you know, when it came out in the 90s with the cartoon show, there is a part of me that wanted it to, to catch fire like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that that's what it was picked up for, that they were hoping, Fox was, that they had the next Ninja Turtles. They had the next like cartoon that no one knew about, comic book property, that they could then make super gigantic. And when it was like, it kind of hit and people sort of liked it, but it wasn't the Ninja Turtles, that's why it only went three seasons, because I, they just needed something to go with the X-Men. Um, right. And he said, you know, some part of me kind of wishes it would have done well, but some part of me is kind of happy it didn't because now when I work on projects with The Tick, people out there know that I genuinely care, that I've seen this property through not having made me money in the past <laughs> to realize that if I'm working on another The Tick thing, it's not to make a bunch of money because I don't think it will, but it's because I really want to show you something about these characters in their world. Yes, yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi with the Evil Dead series. Yes. You know, like anytime they do something with it, they're doing it out of love, not to make a buck. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I mean, the tick has just been in for some reason it's becoming popular again. There's, you know, there's uh, action figure type things coming out and toys are being made in a few different places. So it looks like there's a possibility that at least there's some marketing dollars behind trying to make this thing work. Definitely. And of course, having Amazon with a vested interest in in making it popular again can't hurt. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. (laughs) So let's let's pop back over to the actual cartoon series. Um, One thing to note is you're you're like, oh, Eric Bruce, this is awesome. I'm going to go out. I'm going to, you know, buy the DVD and watch all these episodes because everything you say sounds hilarious. 
And there's a slight hiccup with that. And and that is, is that there are a chunk of episodes that are just not available for purchase. And honestly, don't know why. There's apparently a disagreement somewhere. Yeah, we, I, we've looked uh, this up because this is an actual thing. And it appears to have something to do with Deflator Mouse and American Made. And yeah. it, it depends on what version of the history you read. Uh, apparently when Ben Edlin was picked up by Fox to do the cartoon, he wrote an episode. They looked at it and they said, this is not going to work. So we're going to give you another writer and we're going to give the two of you a couple of weeks and we'll give you one more shot to make this usable. And then the other writer and he apparently spent like a weekend together fleshing out what became the whole story of the tick that you saw in the 90s cartoon. And it worked out. And in that was Deflator Mouse, who very clearly was exactly sort of a lazy man's Batman with no money that kind of hit on American made. You got the feeling they had a a relationship in the past, whether they were married or whatnot. They definitely had dated at least once. Yeah, they they (laughs) bickered like a couple that clearly had. And then she, being sort of the Captain America slash Wonder Woman, was, I think, the the country's most patriotic domestic uh, was the story (laughs) there. But you can never tell. There's some people, and this is having used Google Foo, some stories say that the other writer got mad and Deflator Mouse and American Made were his and he didn't want them to continue. And then some things say that Deflator Mouse and American Made were too close to other properties owned by other comic book companies and that they squashed them being made into DVDs. There is no clear path here, but somehow specifically it appears to be those two characters and I think Big Shot, because he was incredibly close to the Punisher, is another one I've heard kind of catches some of the episodes, including The Tick versus The Tick, which may be the best episode that was made. Yes, definitely. Actually, you want to just kind of talk about some of our favorite episodes from the cartoon? Yeah, I want to say, by and large, these have covered it because it's, you know, The Tick versus The Tick is fantastic mm-hmm. because that's the the yelling and the fighting and the superhero club. And the, that's just so amazingly well done. Um, the Tick, if nothing else, is sort of a character of moments. Uh, you can like part of an episode and you'll totally get into it. Um, I work with people where there are certain things they always quote about certain characters. Um, Chairface Chippendale, who is the main villain you encounter in episode number one, wanting to write his, his uh, name on the moon. Now, the thing to remember is, is now when we have television, we have continuity, which in the 90s yes. was unheard of. So the fact that Chairface Chippendale got this whole thing together, got a laser, pointed at the moon, and carved part of a C into the moon, any other cartoon, the moon would have looked like the moon. But in The Tick, every time the moon came in a shot, the part of the C was still carved into the moon, which at the time was revolutionary for a kid's cartoon series. Exactly. And just to add insult to injury in season two, at one point, the Tick gets punched really hard and flies off into space and ends up landing on a Galactus-type creature. And he basically becomes Galactus's helper as Galactus is moving on. And eventually he takes him back to Earth, and Galactus is like, oh, I'm really hungry. Do you mind if I take a bite out of this moon? He's like, no, go ahead. And so, yeah, <laughs> the rest of the show, there's a bite. There's the HA or something like that on the moon and a bite out of it. <laughs> uh, we talked about American Made. We talked about uh, Deflator Mouse. There's one other hero that appears quite a bit, and that is Sewer Urchin. Yes. And uh, Sewer Urchin is 
he lives in the sewers. He's got this kind of spiky costume, and he can emit a smell. Um, and he sounds exactly like Rain Man from the movie Rain yes. Man. And so... They often, Flatermouse often makes fun of Sewer Urchin. And, and, uh, I remember at one point when they were, uh, I forget who they were fighting. I want to say it was Proto Clown, but they were fighting somebody and it lays out the tick. And so the Flatermouse grabs Sewer Urchin and says, Me and Stinky are going to start their resistance and then runs away. <laughs> and that is, it, it's just, there's so many like weird little quotable things throughout the episode. He has decided that his battle cry is just the word spoon. Yes. <laughs> and there's no real reason. I can't sit here and tell you why. He's holding a spoon at the time. He's like, we need a battle cry. And he decides on spoon. And for whatever reason, that seems incredibly appropriate. <laughs> and um, Arthur's also... battle cry? What's Arthur's? <laughs> oh, God. Help me, Mr. Eric Dewey. Not, not in the face. Not in the That's face. That's what it... Oh, <laughs> it's been long enough since I've watched it that I'd forgotten that because that did not carry over the Amazon series. Um, no, and I'm having not. to look to remind myself. One episode I really loved was the Tick versus the Common Cold. Yes. Um, he faces a villain called Thrackerzog. <laughs> yes. But as a point of contention, the Tick, the whole episode, will not pronounce his name correctly. He refuses. <laughs> Four yaks on a log. <laughs> yeah. Laxative blog, Thorax in a box. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is funny because essentially it's, it's a, a character from another dimension. So it's not entirely dissimilar to almost like a mixed Pitalix character who normally is trying to get it's trying to make Superman make him say his name backwards. Now he just wants the tick to say it correctly once. <laughs> yes. Um and, and that's fantastic. And the, the and yeah, he also lives the floor above him. They all uh, Tick and Arthur live in Arthur's apartment. Uh, there's usually a running joke when Tick goes to Arthur's apartment that he starts breaking stuff looking for whatever will switch that will turn the the regular looking apartment into a crime fighting you know superhero yes. lab, and of course there isn't one. Um, but yeah, so Thrakazog lives the floor above with his uh, roommate. I forget, you know, just some slacker guy. And so while he's trying to take over the world and spawn dimensions and whatnot, he's also dealing with you know, oh, you left the milk out. Why won't you pick up? You know, there's that, that sort of dichotomy of everyday dealing with roommates and, oh, by the way, I'm trying to take over the world. And then that even carries into the Amazon series because the one main villain in the Amazon series lives in her lair with her ex-husband. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and there's just like, there's no good reason that he's still around. She even says that at one point. Um, her name is Miss Lint, and her entire power is that she has static electricity Enough that she can, like, kill people. Uh, and she comes back to her lair, which looks like a gorgeous, villainous lair. And he's there as, like, a dude bro with a bike. And she's like, why, yeah. why don't you just go? And he's like, hey, half the house is mine, too, ain't it, honey? <laughs> and she's like, I don't even understand. You have all the money. Just just let me buy you out. And he's like, no, I think I want to live here, all right? <laughs> and it's just yes. there's always this fantastic combination the tick of dealing with a super heroic world and a very real life world at the same time uh that humanizes <laughs> these characters in such a fantastic way definitely and and it's so absurd uh you know there's one of his villains is the bread maker who makes this giant loaf of bread that can encompass you and 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 another one they get hit with this weird gadget that makes them lose their arms so they're running around trying to stop crime without any arms and uh oh and at one point 
I forget exactly, somehow through time travel, they encounter Leonardo da Vinci and his fighting genius time commandos, which are, uh, I ca- all I can remember is George Washington Carver is there. I think Ben Franklin is part of the group. And so it's this superhero team up where they got to fight these supervillains. And, you know, George Washington Carver's like, if I can just get to those peanuts. <laughs> And I mean, I, I think I realize that we've geeked out and that it's a little hard to follow along what we're doing here because it's just two people that are so passionate about something. And this <laughs> is so ridiculous that it's even harder than normal to follow along. But I would say if you are a fan of comics at all so that you would understand the jokes, really get your hands on some of the tick stuff, even if it's just watching the new Gritty Reboot, as long as you understand that you are watching a Gritty Reboot, whether you will realize it or not. Um, there's just yes. a lot of really cool stuff here with a lot of really cool moments and a lot of really fun stuff they do just to kind of take like the superhero world and just make it fun. Exactly. And that's, and that's what we love about the tick. The whole family loves it. My wife and I in the nineties, you know, we watched it every Saturday, recorded it on my VCR so I could watch it whenever I wanted. <laughs> um, oh, just as an added bonus in the first season, Arthur is voiced by Mickey Dolan yep. from the monkeys, which is, it's just always fun. Um, they don't really do anything with that other than it's just, Hey, that's Mickey Dolan's. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just fun. And you know, the Patrick Warburton series is, is equally fun, especially if you go in just thinking Seinfeld. Cause yeah, that's, that's the perfect way to do it, uh, to think of it. It's, I don't know. It's just fun. At the very least, go to YouTube, type in the Evil midnight bomber who bombs at midnight, watch that video, whichever video comes up, <laughs> it will if that doesn't sell you on it, then listen to the next Inverse Genius. Yeah, I would say that's really fair. Is is if you give that a shot and there isn't sort of the thing that catches you there, then maybe you just don't get it. And and I think with The Tick, it is very much a either, for people I know, either they saw it, they loved it, and they latched onto it. Almost like Mystery Science Theater 3000. People right. either seem to get into that whole heart and soul, or they don't understand why you would watch a movie where someone else is talking over the movie, which is, I think, a perfectly viable complaint to have, just not one that I have. Um, same right. with The Tick. It's absurdist. And either you watch a little bit and you're like, this doesn't even make sense. I, who cares? Viable. Or you just buy into the whole thing and you try to gobble up as much of the media as you can and you find yourself getting bootlegs years later because you want to get the four missing episodes that are only on the UK editions of the DVDs. Exactly. Because if you get the regular ones in America, you don't figure out, you don't find out how he gets speak. Not at all. His his pet dog, <laughs> Capybara, that sort of talks. You got to see yeah. it. it that's <laughs> but I would say well, well worth checking out, even if it's just the Amazon series. And uh, I think we've probably uh, nerded at these microphones plenty enough, Mr. Eric Dewey. I think so. I think so. But Bruce, I thank you so much for joining me. I've been wanting to do this for a bit and I couldn't do it without Oh, and I appreciate being a part of this because, yeah, The Tick really was kind of one of those when I was in like freshman year of high school uh, it was one of those formative things that I could latch on to. It was a media and a character that I just really loved and, and found a need to see. And I think probably has formed a little bit of who I am. So I'm so glad that you let me be a part of this and just kind of uh, geek directly at the microphone into people's ear holes for a while. Fantastic. Well, when destiny's upon you and wears you like a shoe... <laughs> Although, in all honesty, that is the beginning of the song when, when the tick is... Uh, 
really sad because <laughs> Arthur has got a girlfriend and isn't with him. So he carves his own little sidekick, little wooden boy. And so he starts singing this song about destiny and oh, being blue. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think that really, <laughs> so, that does very much cover it, folks. Indeed. Well, I'm Eric Dewey. And, and I'm Bruce Vogue. And you've been listening to Inverse Genius. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.